good lord, really. I don't care. I'm still free. take the from Hello there. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Twelve Years a Slave. I'm not going to spoil it. Maybe you haven't seen it. Don't run off yet. Uh, my name is Tom Chick, and I am here to discuss Twelve Years a Slave with Christian Mulran- Christian Molransky. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And with a Twelve Years a Slave tagline that I cannot wait to hear, Kelly Wand. Mm. American history is when I always zoned out during why weren't white people allowed to pick cotton back then? <laughs> All right. Good, Kelly Wand. I was kind of on uh, pins and needles for, about what you were going to do. I, I still have a little bit. Uh, we'll see where this goes. There's plenty of time to say something e- egregiously inappropriate. Do you want my backup? What, yeah, what would your backup be? Wow, I can't believe you said yes. It's like the secret diary of Desmond Pfeiffer, but without commercials. <laughs> I love it where the backup is stunned silence. <laughs> I liked your earlier action, earlier funnier backups. Uh, I actually didn't. I didn't understand it, Kelly Wan. I'm sorry. Oh, you remember that show, Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer, that never aired about? Oh, a it's a, so it's a what? TV reference, which makes me feel better. I thought it was some like erudite book that everybody but me knew about. No, erudite. I thought it was a science fiction tome of some kind. Yeah. Secret Diary sounded futuristic to you people. Yeah. I, I didn't say anything about the future. That was Kelly, good. everything in the future is a secret. Desmond Pfeiffer. So uh, let's see, Dingus, without spoiling anything about 12 Years a Slave, because maybe some of the folks listening haven't seen it yet, uh, why don't you just give us some basics? All right, well, this week we saw 12 Years a Slave, mm-hmm. a 2013 British-American epic historical drama biography movie mm. about <sighs> what did what just happened? How much better Canadians are than Americans. Oh, spoiler. It was directed by Steve McQueen mm. and written by John Ridley and based on the autobiography by Solomon Northrop. It stars... Oh, it, it stars Chuetel Ejiofor, mm. Ita Nyong'o, Scoot McNary, Garrett Dillahunt, and Quivenjane Wallace. Wait a minute, back up, Dingus. Hold on. What was the one before Garrett Dillahunt? Scoot McNary. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's, I don't, I'm not sure Kelly Wan knows who Scoot McNary is. I just like hearing Dingus say that name. It's one of my favorite names to hear Dingus say. <laughs> All right, Dingus, let's get down to brass tacks. What rating was this movie? 12 Years a Slave is rated R. Okay, that's what I thought. Why was there a PG-13 panel, Dingus, after we saw it? Why did they put that there to what? check us? I have no, I think because people are coming in to see Las Vegas next. I don't know. <laughs> That's got to be rated R, too, though. Or the Miss Banks. Thing. All right, so why is it rated R, Dingus? Uh, 12 Years a Slave is rated R for violence slash cruelty. Mm, well, yeah. Some nudity. And brief sexuality. I think, Dingus, you could actually say that slavery itself as an institution is rated R. Ah, uh, yes. It's got an R in it. But that's for thematic elements throughout. Uh, 12 Years a Slave has been out for 10 weeks, so it doesn't do much good to talk about its, its box office. But when it opened wide, it, it had a limited opening. It, it opened wide, uh, this must have been six weeks ago or so. Uh, it opened wide on the same weekend as that Thor movie. Uh, and it came in at number seven. 
Whoa. Uh, it had a it had a respectable six million dollar take on its opening weekend. In ten weeks, it's gotten up to thirty seven million. I, I think it's it's doing very well. Uh, however, to really see it doing very well, let's go to the critical reception, shall we? Uh, if you check Metacritic, which is the uh, average review from various ratings, Twelve Years a Slave, on a scale from one to a hundred, is at ninety seven. Right, Kelly Wand. Now, however, let's racists. Let's go. <laughs> let's go to Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes is the percentage of reviews that are positive. Oh. Of all the reviews listed on Rotten Tomatoes of Twelve Years a Slave, four percent of them are negative. Oh, Kelly Wand, what, what do these numbers teach? Actually, Kelly Wand, you've parsed nicely what these numbers teach us. Fair enough. I'll. I'll, it I'll means uneducated film goers are only one sl- percent more racist than critics, we'll which is what I always thought. Let me get out my slide rule. Hold on. <laughs> uh, I'm uh, well. You know what? We'll, once we talk about our own I, opinions, we'll get into that. So uh, why? Uh, yes, Kelly Wand. Quick question: Why didn't we see American Hustle this weekend? Because we thought it was only going to open in three places. Yeah, whose idea was that? It opened totally. It, it totally uh, opened wide. It's on, it's on something like like two thousand screens. I said I, I, that. I, yeah, I American Hustle. Why didn't we listen to Dingus? Am I the idiot for once? <laughs> no, that's why we didn't listen to Dingus. Because I'm pretty sure it was this last week, and then done American Hustle this week, and I come into work Friday, and everyone's already seen it Friday morning. Like, oh yeah, American Hustle, and I'm like, what the. Fuck, man. Uh, that's what we're seeing next week, so we'll catch up with them easily. I needed to. I needed an. The reason we're doing it is because I needed an extra week to see your favorite movie of last year. Oh, you saw it? No, I, that's why I need this week. <laughs> oh, I see. Wait, I thought you. You made fun of me for liking it before. No, that's the other guy. I haven't seen it. Well, yeah, but he doesn't know anything. So you guys are talking about Silver Linings Playbook, which Kelly uh, Wan picked as his number one movie of 2012. But I regret it for what it's worth, and I wish I'd picked a goon. Kelly Wan, there's no shame in liking a, a light romantic comedy. There really I isn't. I fucked up on, like, I thought Fish Tank. I, like, overlooked it. Kelly Wan, seriously, don't be ashamed of of just being overly fond of a, of a slightly frivolous movie. That's fine. No, it was also because how she looked on it, Jennifer <laughs> Lawrence. I'm not as shallow as that. Cause it's just because it's got romantic and comedy in it. Well, Kelly Wand, let's right. see how shallow, shallow you are by having you, <laughs> as a test, synopsize everything that happened in 12 Years a Slave, which could be a difficult, brutal movie to watch. Kelly Wand, what are you going to do when you are asked to recount the events of that movie? How would you, how would you approach such a thing? How does Kelly Wand synopsize a movie like 12 Years a Slave? I'm dying to know. Uh, should I just do it then? Or <laughs> would you want me to answer that question? Why don't you yes. answer that question by doing it? Yes, I like it. So Kelly Wand, with the 12 Drive years it like of I Slavopsis, I don't slaved know. Slaved it. <laughs> is that what you're going to say? No, it was not. It definitely was not. Everything sounds racist. Have you noticed that? No. <laughs> What do you mean? Just what, like, it's like being at a funeral. Like, every third word is inappropriate if you're watching a movie. What, what, th- what words were you saying out loud during the movie that you thought were inappropriate? You'll see the opposite. Yes, we will. So, Kelly Wand, give us the uh, 12 years asopsis. Wrong. A slopsis. Yes. 12 years asopsis. Kelly Wand, <laughs> rock and roll. 
I expected a movie about slavery at a theater in Orange County on Saturday night before Christmas to be desolate. But there were several elderly couples shambling around. The only awkward moment was the usher brought the homicide order to my seat. Took the number card from the candelabra, my armrest, and asked if there was anything else he could get me. He was black, but I still offered to make reparations. Then a PSA started playing on screen about R2-D2 and Darth Vader teaming up to help out kids with disabilities, just like they did in Star Wars. Ah, oh, what a lovely day in the park. Top of the ladies to you. Ah, Mr. Ejiofor. Is this Turn that fucking music down. Jesus. <laughs> oh, Allow me to introduce myself and my twin brother, Shyster. Uh, ha. Whoops. <laughs> it's probably better. Spoken like a true free citizen of the United States. Say, you seem like a cherry fellow. How would you like to make a cool dollar a day minus traveling expenses of $40 playing second fiddle at our traveling freak show? We're only playing in one city, Washington, which will save on traveling expenses and the cost of the chains. Wow, it sounds awesome. I haven't heard such a great deal since 14 dwarves knocked on my door last week to enlist me in a hiking expedition. <laughs> Hey, wait a second. Isn't the nation's capital a slave state? I'm not quite sure how that's possible. It's not even a state. Why do we even need Guantanamo? Ha! An educated Negro. Will the wonders of modern phrenology never cease? Ah, the peanuts our landsmen shall chuck at the silver tongue likes you. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> Thank you, Park Walker nearby me. By the by, my unsuspecting friend, our head of payroll is also our geek, so I fear you shall be compensated in chicken heads. We hope that it's not an issue for you, W2-wise. Uh, splendid. A toast, then, to slavery, my good sir. Uh, we're in a park right now, but all right. <laughs> uh, what the? That's weird. It's Sunday morning at 10, and I'm not hungover. At least my splitting headache feels normal. What you want, boy? Hey, Yosemite Sam. I didn't even know that was in the South. <laughs> Listen, this is some kind of mix-up. These chains are way too loose. What's with the wiffle paddle? Are we going to play cricket? Why is it called the Great American Pastime if we stole it from the Redcoats, huh? I guess making the bat rounder was vaguely innovative. Ow! 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 A little more uh, to the left. Thank you, sir. May I have... Ow! I am Benedict Cumberbatch. Though we both appear in this, I shall be replacing Michael Fassbender as the red-haired British actor in every movie until O15's Prometheus reboot with Jaden Smith and Taylor Kitsch. Hi, America. Me again, Paul Dano. Get my ass beaten as usual. Seriously, there'll be blood, looper, lawless than this. I get thwacked till I screech like a girl, but Shia LaBeouf's the leading man who gets Megan Fox. The fuck, Hollywood? Come on. <laughs> Kelly, why you left prisoners off the list? <laughs> I didn't see that. Is he, that happens in that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is he the kidnappers? He's the kidnappee, and they uh, do terrible things to the poor fella. <laughs> Tom tittered. Because <laughs> you made it funny. Now, I'm not laughing at Paul Dano getting beaten. It's terrible. It's only funny because he's white. God, these past 12 years have flown by. Fresh air, work parties every morning at 4, flogging Fridays, free dental from Paul Giamatti. This really is the land of opportunity. Just wish I knew an alternate way back to New York besides that one clearing where those hangmen and dogs take their lunch. 
<laughs> Nothing can save me now. Hi, I'm Brad Pitt. I think I'm this. We have no slavery in Canada, but it rains constantly. It's just kind of a wash. Wow, what are you doing here, Brad Pitt? <laughs> Some of that bad acting's uh, on the page. In Canada, we have a real thing for Georgian two-by-fours, or whatever the fuck this place is supposed to be. Oh, it's like you're barely even acting in this. Hey, would you mind writing me a deus ex machina and telling my white friends to give me the fuck around on her? <laughs> I really liked how you saw that zombie apocalypse with luggage and a magic marker. (laughs) This is a triumph, a surprise triumph. Sure, bro, although the heavy lifting was mostly all Lindelof. Hey, man, you got a saying in Canada, quid pro quo. Can you fiddle me an eighth of that silver haze? I saw you guys pass around Smoke Lodge, whatever you call it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, don't take this wrong, but the last one, you kind of jacked me letter-wise. You're not going to pull the same shit, are you? Uh, hello, I'm Brad Pitt. Hey, check out how I'm rocking Movember. Suck it, Jamati. <laughs> <laughs> hey, family. Uh, I guess forgive me for getting kidnapped and being put through 12 years of living hell. My bad. On the upside, I made a dollar a day for the three days before I got slipped the Mickey. <laughs> Although I see we live in a mansion. My fiddler's salary was pretty buku, I guess. Huh, household. So what's for dinner? Fool's cap of blackberry juice. Y'all gonna finish nailing up them rain gutters now or what? <laughs> what? She's a white person. It's my white voice. <laughs> Fuck this. I'm heading back to Georgia. Fucking trading up. No offense. You in another 12. It's not me. It's you. Um. <laughs> ah, is that where you're trying to do sound effects? Is that what you were, uh... <laughs> So, we're, we're, you didn't hear that? We did not. Kelly Wand, we... <laughs> I thought you were trolling me when you couldn't hear it. It's the theme song of that movie. It felt... Yeah, so Kelly Wand, there's a way to play sound effects on a podcast. That's not it. <laughs> all right, we'll just pretend I did it right. The writer. Uh, all right, so we have all seen... The uh, thing is, this is Steve McQueen's first movie, um, Hunger? Yeah. Okay, so uh, we have all... Yeah, the yeah. With uh, the vampires? Well, I up. was going to say we've all seen all of Steve McQueen's movies, but I guess not. Uh, so his, Dingus and I have seen Hunger. Kelly Wand, we all saw Shame. Uh, wow. And now this is uh, 12 Years a Slave. This is his first multi-word title for a movie. Exactly, yes. Um, he's not the Steve McQueen some folks might think he is. So there's that. He wasn't uh, Bullet or Piranha. Correct, right. Oh, Piranha? What? Isn't that his kid? Oh, you're right. Oh, wow. Nice that's well, Steven. Piranha 3. That that's Piranha McQueen? 3D. And yeah, that is, uh, it's like a nephew or it's some, it's not directly his son, but it is. A he has his it's... talent and his, uh... <laughs> ouch. <laughs> now, this Steve McQueen is, uh, I believe, for some reason I thought he was Irish, but Dingus, you you said it was an English production. Is Steve McQueen English or Irish? Do we know? He, he was born, he was, he's from London. Okay. Uh, Hunger is just so much about the Irish experience that I guess I assumed he, he was Irish. Um, but the Irish are kind of the the slaves of England, aren't they? Uh, there's a different so. phrase that you're looking for that I'm glad you didn't say, but yeah, that, that has been said before. Uh, oh, Tom. So, uh, as a Steve McQueen movie, uh, 
Dingus, why don't you go first? Uh, well, what did you think of uh, 12 Years a Slave? You're making me go first. Uh, I didn't care for it. I guess I'm going to be, what is it, uh, 3%, 4% racists? What is it? I don't know what. I don't know how Kelly characterized it, but I really didn't care for it. Okay, well, Dingus, explain yourself. What's the issue you have or issues with 12 Years a Slave? Um, I just don't... I don't feel like it teaches us anything. I don't. I, I feel like I'm just... I don't think it's well made. Uh, I think, yeah, fine, a lot of the acting is great, but I feel like... And I don't know why Kelly Wan brought up The Hobbit, um, but really the lead performance kind of reminds me of the lead performance in the Hobbit where he's just kind of has one look for 12 years. It's just constantly has that same look on his face. And I feel like it's a movie designed to make white people feel bad, but feel good about being bad. You know, that sort of white guilt thing. Um, Like I'm I'm here watching and enduring the horrors of slavery. This should somehow exonerate me like that kind of thing. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I, don't, duty. I don't think it shows me anything that I don't expect is going to happen or anything new. And I, and I don't think, given what I, I think that they were trying to go for, and I didn't really get to read a lot about this movie because we just saw it and I don't read anything going in, but it seems that Steve McQueen was really fascinated by a first-person account sort of in the Anne Frank way of, because I think he's married. I think he like lives in where where Anne Frank is from. I think he was kind of go, trying to go for that that idea of of this is this is a slave's Anne Frank account. This is a first person slave account written by somebody who can really write. And I don't feel like we got that sense. We just we're just watch we're just sitting there watching this going through these cruelties that we've seen a thousand times before. I don't mean to be callous. I just I just never and and, and, and part to be honest, this is really terrible thing to say but the music is so god awful in this and i mean the han zimmer music is that i was constantly feeling like i was having a headache from that and I, and i thought that the steve mcqueen who made hunger i can't imagine him seeing this movie and listening to the music that's playing throughout much of the opening and, and a lot of it and and just approving of it so uh, i was really turned off by this movie kelly wand what did you think of 12 years a slave Mm, I liked it more than that, but it would have been nice to have a companion piece about the negative aspects of slavery. All right. <laughs> Wait, that came out wrong. Um, no, maybe want to kill all the white people. But, I mean, I kind of like things that Dingus doesn't like, like just time capsules of how life was in other eras, like Passion of the Christ. So at that level, I think I enjoyed it. Okay. I also liked the violin thing, for some reason. The violin thing, the fact, you mean... Because uh, the, fir- the first shot's him tuning a violin, but it's like, it sounds like he's almost going to break the strings, but he's actually not, and then at the end he does. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. I think at a certain point in this movie, I started to feel like, if we get to the end and I have three pages of text telling me what happened later, then this movie will have failed. Because... Uh, and when we got to that point, I of course I had three pages worth of text telling me all of these things that the movie didn't bother to tell me. So I don't want to. Dingus, read. you're calling you're calling title cards pages of text. <laughs> Sorry, I, yeah. I apologize. <laughs> it's not well, like it's, the opening of Star Wars, Dingus. Uh, all right, you're right. You're right. It's no yeah, it's again. <laughs> anyway, Tom, come on in here. 
Uh, all right. Well, I uh, think that it failed, but for very different reasons than Dingus. I, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, I really think that Steve McQueen is an excellent filmmaker. I like how much he is a an actor's director. Uh, I, I thought that that showed here. Um, I... I feel I, I don't think it's a matter of white guilt, but I'm fascinated at the history of slavery that it happened. That yeah. less than 200 years ago we could treat people this way. Um, I, I think it it, it 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 was the atrocity that we remember it as, and I, I think it's important for various reasons to to realize that that part of how we've progressed as a as a race of creatures, as an enlightened civilization, is being able to appreciate the brutality and and for. For guys in our culture, you know, for, for people in most of the modern world, it's absurd to me that this ever happened. Um, so I and recently and here, right? Well, and, and and you know, the U.S. of course wasn't the only country that was guilty of slavery. It's just that we had for for much longer than other places in the world an economy that was basically half built on slavery. So it took us longer to let go of it. But it's an institution that was around the world that, that people sort of snapped out of and thought, this is ridiculous. What are we doing? We have to stop this. Um, and as far as a movie about that, I thought, for instance, this was far better than another movie about that that we saw last year, uh, Lincoln, which was a, a legislative procedural, which makes it sound boring, but I found very exciting, about the abolition of slavery. Uh, but I thought it, I'd much rather like this perspective on it. I really liked, you know, Dingus, you call it kind of Anne Frankie, and I didn't know this was based on a book until the credits rolled. I really like this idea of taking someone who knows better, who knows enough to know that slavery is an atrocity and is that submitted to it, rather than like the roots approach where somebody is just plucked from a primitive civilization and then fed into the machinery of slavery. I, I liked that we had to see it through the eyes of, of a more enlightened, modern, contemporary person uh, and that he was subjected to it. Um, so I liked that particular angle. Um, and just as far as you, as you say, it wasn't well made, and I'd be curious to hear more about this. But I really liked uh, just how kind of sensual and textured the movie was. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, a big, an important part of the journey is him being taken south from Washington down to, I presume, uh, you know, Louisiana, the Bayou area, and they they show that as a, a steamship ride. And whereas most directors would either do a CG steamship or they would rent one and strategically shoot it, uh, I liked how that steamship passage was entirely below decks. We got to see a glimpse of the ocean through the paddle wheel, and we saw the broiler furnace being fed. You know, I like that Steve McQueen, rather than doing a lot of big epic shots, made a smaller, textured, more intimate period piece. Um, and, and some of the stuff I just thought was beautiful, some of the settings. Um, you know, the green swamp of Benedict Cumberbatch's house with all the moss and the, the algae on the water versus that sear brown of Michael Fassbender's cotton plantation. Uh, I, I just think he has such an eye for the, these sort of sensual production values. And you certainly see that in, in Hunger in the oddest of places, and you see that somewhat in shame as well. Uh, so as far as a period piece with a unique perspective, a man who knows better, who knows that this is not a place he should be in, who understands the world differently than a lot of slaves, uh, I really liked it for some of those reasons. But I do want to say, where I feel it failed, uh, I really appreciated early on showing the simple brutality of slavery, a, a kind of a dispassionate view of it. Um, as it went on, I, 
I just feel it started to fall apart once Michael Fassbender shows up and Sarah Paulson, and once they're chewing the scenery as these evil plantation owners, as if you know slavery as an institution needs a kind of a whiply snidelash caricature to really bring it home. Uh, and I feel like the movie fell apart as it started to do that. I didn't need any of that. I loved Benedict Cumberbatch's role, the way he was in it, the patheticness of Paul Dano, the that that uh, overseer that was working alongside Paul Dano, who knew enough to chase those guys off, but couldn't cut him down. Uh, I, I just loved this idea that slavery was an institution that people let happen, and that it's not something where you have to show a demonized plantation owner to represent. I didn't feel like any of that was necessary, and that's where it started to fail and fall apart for, for me. Mm. Um, Can I say two things? Yeah, get in here, Kelly Wand. I just want to say, that's why I thought the best scene in the movie is the part where he's hanging there, and everyone's sort of in the background like his own people and like no one's everyone's just sort of tuning it out like it's just some everyday thing well and it gets to the i mean it sort of is a visual representation of this point that slavery yeah. isn't something that mad men did it's something that people let happen yeah uh, and they were used to it and also something else you said that i thought was really uh i agree with is we can make movies this brutal now it shows slavery it's like when I was a kid, Song in the South came out in theaters. Like, that was still going on. This whitewash is very recent. Right. So it seems like we're at a stage now where you can see movies that are willing to show, you know, how shitty it really was without, you know, gone with the winding it, I guess. Or just focusing on the tactics of the Civil War, the procedurals, like you said. And part of it is just, I, I think, you know, post-civil rights movement... Uh, you know, not to say there's no racism, but we can be just much more frank about what a primarily racial issue this is, and we can examine it more more frankly there uh, in a way that we couldn't have, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I think, and your complaint, I think, is valid. I think the movie kind of loses its way in the last half, but that's part of the problem of being a biopic, is you're sort of stuck with how that yeah. <laughs> was, and that's where he spent six years of his time. But it also doesn't, like, add, like, a, like a white... Hero well, I guess Brad Pitt is, but he's Canadian even. So it's like <laughs> you can see if this had been made ten years ago or like remember Dry White Season, that Donald Sutherland apartheid movie. Oh, no, I, I don't know that, but I Oh, you didn't see it. Yeah. I mean it was South African but it was like all the characters were white, basically, and it was about the legal, like how they tried to help mm -hmm. this tortured gardener failed. But well, in this well, I mean, I mean, to be to be fair, though, a lot of what ended slavery were abolitionists, many most of whom were white. I mean, that's it, it's not like it, it's not like it, it's a you know you use the term Deus Ex Machina, and I agree in terms of the narrative of this movie, but it basically was white people who ended slavery. Uh, and I'm not saying that well, it, would, to, it would have to be I right, right, exactly, because they were the ones doing it. Um, Especially, but, well, yeah. but I, I am I am with you there. I I. I, I I didn't. Brad Pitt showing up just felt so wrong and awful. It's, and, it's embarrassing. It's, yeah, yeah. And and to find out he's a producer on the movie, I mean, yeah. it's just embarrassing. It's an embarrassing well, performance. But it's what happened in the in. Well, no. So it, it, well, it's, it's fine. It's, well, it's just a show. It's so self-aggrandizing and embarrassing. Ugh. Yeah, and what's embarrassing to me is that, like I said, I, I really like the stuff about just showing the, the simple brutality of slavery to then have Brad Pitt and Michael Fassbender do this really convenient uh, abolitionism for dummies conversation. Oh, God. Uh, I, I just now, And I understand the dramatic purpose of that was to demonstrate to Chiwetel Ejiofor that he could trust Brad Pitt's character, that that's why they needed to do it. But like, like we I, have to go, oh, yeah. Right, well, yeah, I'm with Dingus, and it just felt like embarrassing that, that here we had this 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 
textured uh, look at, at slavery and what it did and the personal toll it took without – and then we have to get this little dime store analysis in a, an exchange between these two characters before the movie ends. Like it, I'm with Dingus. It was just embarrassing. It's I, not well like, written. Yeah, yeah. I don't think or yeah. well acted. And and I just I, just Brad Pitt is not the least bit convincing doing whatever he was doing. No. I, uh, it, you know it, what it is. I think part of it, except the beard. It, well, well, the beard. Good <laughs> Lord, Jesus, <laughs> and the chopped up talking that he was doing. Well, I think his that. celebrity really doesn't allow him to sink into a small part like that, and it just sticks out and it looks well, so, weird. You know, sometimes he's, he's okay with it. I mean, I liked him in the in the movie we didn't like in the uh, counselor because I kind of was well. I was fine with him there. He can show no, up and do this a, kind of thing. He can. He can. He's known for showing up and doing this kind of thing, like being able to. Ever since I don't know, True Romance or whatever, he can show up and do a small part and be like cool in it. But this just felt like uh, Brad, the guy who's just going to do this part, couldn't show up. Can you jump in here? The and producer of the movie's going to take the bold position <laughs> of coming in and saving the main character, telling yeah. him how long slavery is. Yeah, I can, I can do that. How beautiful he is. He's so gorgeous. <laughs> Eyes are dreamy. He's got to be telling the Kelly Wan, settle story. down. Settle, settle down. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Keep it in your pants. <laughs> what? Another hour. Uh, but it's so good before that. And and part of it, and before that, too, I, I was just sitting through most of this movie thinking, just shut up, Quentin Tarantino, with your stupid Django Unchained BS. Yeah. I mean, this movie made me so mad at Django Unchained. Here's all yeah. Right. right. That's absolutely true. It really did. That's a place. Django Unchained, even more than I had been previously pissed off about Django Unchained. Well, and the, the sense of place and, and also just the idea of the, the personal toll that it takes. You know, Jamie Foxx's just naked defiance is just so dopey in Django Unchained. And, and I think, Dingus, I, I want to hear more about this because I, I love Tweedledgeo 4. And I thought he was great in this at, at demonstrating the, the psychic toll of being beat down. You know, we've talked before about Denzel Washington and glory. Back then, he was able to do that sort of thing, and now he's such a personality and he's so expansive. You know, when he's just playing a drunken pilot, he's still this huge, larger-than-life character. But I just think Tweedledgeofor did such a great job of uh, of of sinking into the, to what slavery must do to a man, to a, to a person, just being robbed of of, of, of dignity, of freedom. Um, yeah, and. And to just not do that Jamie Foxx kind of bullshit was just so refreshing to me. And and the, the scene, too, where he finally gives in and starts singing that, um, I don't know what that, that field song about Roland Jordan, whatever that was, when he's singing it at the, the funeral, just – I. That was one of the couple of places where I so appreciated that Steve McQueen is an actor's director because he just held the – first of all, he opened that scene – and I've talked about this with other directors, cutting away too early from a scene where, where an actor is working. I love how Steve McQueen opened to that scene just holding on that actress's face. Mm-hmm. And you're like, why are we looking at her? And yeah. she just got a very striking face. Yeah, but what's this going to be? And he holds it on her for it's got to be like 10 seconds before she starts singing. But And so then I love that he cuts to Chuita for during the song, and he just lets this scene unfold where Chuita for finally gives in to, to the the – the slaves. I don't. What do you call those songs that they would sing on plantations and whatnot? There's a word for it, not gospels. Um, but at any rate, I, I love that he just let us watch Tweedledee for decide to sing along with with this this song. Um, and and that was one of the places where I just really appreciated what an actor's director he is. There's another scene after the Paul Dano beating, 
And this is what made me think of how he knows enough not to cut away. After the Paul Dano beating, where the other overseer comes out and says, you know, just stay there, don't run away, or I'm not going to be able to protect you. Uh, And then Steve McQueen just holds the camera on Chiwetel Ejiofor just sitting there holding that whip as it slowly sinks in on him, this realization about what he's done. You know, another director would have just cut. But I love that Steve McQueen just lets us look at this actor in this moment for an extended period of time. I mean, this is clearly the same director who let us watch two men talk for one unedited cut that lasts 20 minutes in the middle of of hunger. Uh, And I I just so admired that he did that sort of thing in this movie. Um, I got the sense, too, from his face he didn't feel entirely regret i think there was like that was the beauty of his acting it's like there's a tinge of like fuck that guy (laughs) paul dano fine but then it you know it was an all day ordeal that led to my favorite scene of the movie what was your favorite scene of the movie just people coming out right there's a 20 minute conversation in hunger because I think he's hunger. Yeah, is, hunger uh, is wonderful structure. That in that twenty-minute conversation is all in the middle. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a triptych. Like, there's a there's an opening bit, and then there's the twenty-minute conversation, and then there's the fallout of the conversation. Uh, it's like a three-act play, basically. It, so it it's, is. It's, it's a satisfying. brilliant. It's brilliant, and that middle section that Tom's talking about is just uh, it's just exquisite. Because Shane was kind of like this. Like I like chunks of it a lot. Like worth to the point where I'd recommend the movie to people. But right. there's other parts of it you just go, why is this here? Yeah, Shane, I, I would definitely rank Shame as his weakest movie. I'm guessing yeah. Dingus would probably. Oh, so even for Dingus. Hmm. Well, I, I, Hunger is, is so brilliant. It's such a there's so so much like raw energy and almost there's almost the sense in a lot of Hunger that Steve McQueen doesn't quite know how to make a movie yet, so he's kind of doing it quote unquote wrong. He's doing things that other filmmakers wouldn't do, and I love that about Hunger. Uh, Shame seems very polished, and you know we did a whole podcast on it. I think we were all. Uh, we all appreciated certain things about it, um, but I don't. I don't think this rises to the level of of, sh- of hunger. But it it does have. I, I mean, I really can see him sort of growing as as a filmmaker. Dingus, talk more about why you felt like you didn't feel it was very well made. What were some of your issues with, um, I guess, the direction? Oh, it feels like it really feels like a, a Hollywood movie instead. And one of the things I value about him as a director is are the things that you're talking about in Hunger. That it feels like it's not that. To me, he feels like it feels like he's making a play, but it feels like he's not playing by those rules. He's not playing by that sort of script structure that everybody feels like they have to play with in Hollywood, and they have to underlay a soundtrack that overwhelms the action and overwhelms the acting. And he can do things with his actors, and you're right, he is such an actor's director. Um, and for me, Hunger sets a very high bar, and I just don't think um, 12 Years comes close to clearing it. Now, you you talk about that moment at the at the graveside mm-hmm. uh, where everybody is amassed to sing this song. Um, th- this is one of those moments for me that just doesn't work for me because of the because of the scene directly before when they're actually burying the body and having a talk, and somebody's saying, "I want to say a few words," and and that feels like the scene, and then oh. We're also going to have a scene where we all sing around the grave. It, 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 the, the movie for me is constantly doing that. It feels like a collection of scenes that we have to have in a Hollywood movie in order to make this autobiog- autobiography, biographical drama that really is never going to show me anything I'm not expecting to see. And I do appreciate what the actors are doing. I mean, I, I'm 
<laughs> absolutely. And I, and I apologize if I said her name incorrectly, the girl who played Patsy. Um, I love what she's doing. I love what most of the actors are doing for the most part. Um, and I love what Twiddle Edge of War is doing. It just doesn't feel like there's a lot for him to do in a part that should be so rich. And I appreciate what you're saying, Tom, about him sinking into the tragedy that is slavery from the point of view of somebody who knows better. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just feels like there's a lot of the time where he just has the same expression on his face for the entire thing. I just didn't see a lot of notes. Uh, and I, especially the editing, I just, I just did. I, and the, the music and the editing really bothered me. And I, I can't, I, I don't know why I, I just, uh, I should have been more moved and felt more personal about this. And I didn't. My problem with the music is that was, cause I, I love the soundtrack to thin red line. That was Hans Zimmer just using bits from thin red line. What it, the really, heck? it really is yeah. that kind of a thing. It's, is he allowed it, to do that. Elfman does it all the time. Oh, and so, it has no play. It has no place in this movie. And, and there are moments where, that should be silent, or that we should be able to hear the violin playing. And instead, he overlays, goes on top of the violin playing with his crappy score. Why? Why is he doing that? Uh, yeah, it, it only bothered it's, me that it was uh, that it was a direct riff on the Thin Red Line stuff. I, I thought it was used sparingly enough. Like I didn't I mind. Thought, uh, he was ma- he was covering the violin because it's like the guy is zoning out. And right. Not, his, pl- his violin playing doesn't bring him any pleasure yeah. anymore. He's just like dead inside. Good. Then give us silence or something because when so you're, you're using you're, music that doesn't work for me and you're overwhelming me with it, it really bothers me. And I know I had that that same complaint or a similar complaint with Gravity, but I'm so sensitive to music and movies, and I'm such a huge fan. At weather. Um, I love collecting scores from movies, from old movies and new movies. I love music and movies. So I'm very sensitive to it. And when I feel like it's overwhelming a scene or telling me what I'm supposed to uh, be about to feel, in this movie, you don't need that. And I think Steve McQueen is a smart enough director to not have to use it. And maybe maybe it was something he was pressured into, or maybe he just feels like I'm making this level of Hollywood movie now, so I'm going to follow those rules. But it was disappointing to me from that point of view. Uh, I was disappointed. I went into this movie thinking we were going to get to see more of the tremendous Quivingen Wallace from Beasts of the Southern Wild. And uh, she was just in the... I, I didn't she even know that was... Her. She was the... Did no. I, am I right? She was the daughter... No, she wasn't Patsy. She She's was the, the daughter. daughter in the early scenes who I wasn't even really paying attention to her there. I had no idea that that was Quivinjane Wallace till the movie was over. Which daughter? His daughter. His daughter, yeah, when she was a oh. little monkey. She was a little tiny cute button of a girl before she grew up. And by the way, when, when he walks into the end, I was thinking, oh, his wife got remarried. Oops. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. I thought that too. But the wife doesn't even like go to him. Are we supposed to? Is that supposed to be a... A fake out? I mean, it's such a weird scene. Yeah, it was. Uh, but I was disappointed that that was all the Quivinjane Wallace we got. And, that I forgot his name, uh, the fellow who played the father. Oh, Dwight Henry? Dwight Henry, yeah. Yeah, and it, I didn't know that was him until it was after That's the cuts up. He was, so the father from Beasts of the Southern Wilds is the fellow who drops dead in the field when he's That's picking Abram. cotton. That's why I think best actors of barely the movie. <laughs> his, his name's Uncle Abram, you know. Oh, in the movie, right, right. Yeah. Dwayne um, Johnson, I thought, was the new husband at the end. One, two, three, oh, no. Really? Was that too soon? <laughs> oh, no. That's a great line. 
I guess it was great. Were we done talking about it? I guess I just agree with you. I well, I like it when we have a two-one split. Yeah, that was that was that's good. But also, how Dingus is always reacting to music, and he's really sensitive to that. That's I never noticed that stuff, but I'm like sensitive to like writing, like what I see is big lapses. And to me, that we never find out what happens to Patsy after there's all that shit about her. It's really weird. Well, it's part of the, the point of slavery is that you don't get, uh, you know, it, it's part of also this idea that it was just his perspective. You know, part of what. The, the, the atrocity of slavery was was that it tears people apart and you don't so you don't know where your children your friends are your wife or you, you know uh, and, Django Unchained he didn't know what happened to his wife Kelly Wand that's slavery and there's, there, there's absolutely no help for most of those people because they can't google it you know <laughs> I feel ashamed for not pointing out thinking about the google aspect. Uh, speaking of Dwayne Johnson I just want to point out who is someone just, who's who is not in the Expendables three? Somebody, at least one action star, is smart enough to have want to have nothing to do with that silliness. Right. And, and it's not to see what number of Expendables he winds up in. He will. He knows better. And let me tell you, who is in Expendables three? Harrison Ford. Which Harrison is McCaird. weird. It is weird. It does seem weird that Harrison Ford's in it and Dwayne Johnson. Doesn't to me. It's exactly what Harrison Ford should be doing. He's just cashing in because he's. He's no actor. He's just a he's a name now. Well, Star Wars Seven's a labor of love, I'm sure, because he loves playing Han Solo so much. Uh, let's see. So, Dingus, oh, yeah. this week's three by three. What do you got for us? I've got umbrellas for you. No, come on. What is the real topic? All right. Uh, it's actually your favorite tricycles in movies. Umbrellas. Did we do that. Is a big wheel a tricycle? Because then I would pick The Shining. Absolutely. Oh, darn it, you got my number one. Um, okay, my number two is the tricycle in rubber. Good. And my number one favorite tricycle is something that probably Dwayne Johnson rides in some action movie where he's using some kind of three-wheeled ATV. Run Han Solo used to, or Harris Ford used to ride. Because <laughs> of our stupid society. So, no, Dingus, seriously, is, umbrellas, come this on. This is umbrellas. Uh, in, and I, I couldn't find this scene again, but in the beginning of uh, the original Old Boy, there's just a really evocative shot of a, an umbrella as the as a camera goes down through the rain on top of, like, just the, the – and, and I was just like, oh, that's a really cool-looking umbrella. That's a nice way to open the shot. That's Same cool. From Resident Evil. And then hey, uh, Kelly Wan just told my number one. Good job. No, I didn't. Oh, you're such a jerk. And then you're in the, putting, no. and then in the Sorry. awful remake of Old Boy, we had to see there was an umbrella with a very obvious like hash marks of the 15 years or 20 years in the American uh, written all over, and it's like, hi, we're obvious. Here's an obvious one. Ha ha. <laughs> uh, and so I just thought of how much I love umbrellas, or just that image that can be used in movies. And there you go. All right. So, Kelly Wan, since you're introducing next week's 3x3, what is your third favorite use of an umbrella in a movie? My theme was umbrellas that did other things besides overhead moisture deflection. (laughs) (laughs) Overhead moisture deflection. Go! No, it's not overhead moisture deflection, Dingus. Yeah, plus that. It does that and something else. Mm -hmm. Or just the other one and not moisture. So, multitaskers. Yeah, multitaskers or single tasters that aren't what they were made for. Mm. <laughs> My number three of Tom's reaction <laughs> sounds is Mary Poppins's because it could fly over the rain. From what movie, though? Um, Mr. Banks goes to a town. <laughs> right, good. Adam Sandler. 
So I've never seen Mary Poppins, so I couldn't use this. But does her umbrella give her – is it like Thor's hammer where she can use it to fly? Yeah. It goes to other dimensions in the books, I think. With her. Those are books? Yeah. And she hates – did you see the Harlan Ellison thing where he's like – She hates Harlan Ellison? (laughs) Very upset at you. For not being dingus. <laughs> so Mary, Mary Poppins is Mary Poppins. A, 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 she's a nanny who has a fly, an umbrella that lets her fly, and this and land and land, and just so like that's the Washingtons, right? And she uses this to take care of children when it's raining. <laughs> or they gotta go. No, I'm just gonna have to movie on my own. All right. What the movie or the books? Well, I'm not gonna read Mary Poppins books. Why not? Please. Either way, set aside three hours because Mary Poppins is a freaking long ass movie. It is. Yeah. How much can happen? What is it a musical? God, don't tell me. Tell me it's not. It is, isn't it? It's a fragilistic expialidocious. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Is it it weird, like Wizard of Oz? Yeah, Yeah, I was was just about to tell you that. You know how when you watch Wizard of Oz, you thought it was a real creepy movie. Yeah. She has sex with a chimney sweep. That's that's going to happen when you watch Mary Poppins. Oh, that's more like that's the Dick Van Dyke doing his infamous English accent movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Besides that darn cat. Yeah. But I shouldn't watch it, right? There's no reason. No, it's good. Really? It's, it's is that the one where they play soccer with the uh, lions after the bed floats to the Nazis? Oh, bed knobs and broomsticks. Is that? Ah, I made you say it. But that's a Mary Poppins story. Well, it's Britain, and they fly. So instead of a, an umbrella, it's a bed. But a bed's like an umbrella that's your. Un, that's All right, Kelly, I have a real question. Uh, so, is Bed Knobs and Broomsticks a different movie from Mary Poppins, or is it yes. even the name of a movie? What's the deal? Yes. Both. Oh, and it's both Disney movies with animation in it. And Julie Andrews plays Mary Poppins in both of them. No. Oh. David Niven plays Mary Poppins in one of them. All right, Kelly, we're done with you. What? Uh, <laughs> That took forever. Uh, all right. Well, my number three, I'm going to give you guys a line from my number three Umbrella movie. Ready for this? <gasps> Bronze. Here we go. Don't walk. Don't walk. Don't walk. Uh, don't yeah. walk. That's you hating the topic. Why is Typical. that predictable? Why? What? No, I liked that. No, you didn't. Well, why are you saying it's me hating I, the topic? Mike. What? So in Blade Runner, part of what oh. you do for this futuristic design, which I kind of like, uh, is they give people umbrellas with neon um, laser candles. Cane. It is like a laser cane, because, but I don't know that it shoots anything. Um, <laughs> oh, wait. But oh, that's that, that chase scene with the outdoor, it's like a cityscape. It's Los Angeles in 2014. Or Actually, is Blade Runner 2014? Yeah, we're about to be in the Blade Runner. Holy cats. Wow, yeah, Los Angeles. Right. It's I thought it was, Blade Runner, right? I thought it was 2025. It is raining constantly. Yeah, whatever. Is it? Because maybe I'm just thinking of next year is 2014 and not Blade Runner. No, next year is 2025 and Blade Runner now is... Now listen to you, Kelly Wan. For any factual information in the rest of this podcast, I will not turn to you. Now, now it's got to be factual. <laughs> so, Diggis, it is 2025? No, I, I have no idea. It's it's that or 20... I, I, you know, you said 2014 I, and I'm sort of confused because I know it was like 1841 for 12 Years a Slave, so the one and the four... Nah. I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was uh, 2025 or, or or 2019 or something, it's but I don't remember. I don't remember. Well, whenever it's- it happens, one of the things I like about the production design uh, during that chase scene where he's chasing down Joanna Cassidy is just just people with umbrellas and they have neon handles and it looks completely transparent. Uh, but that's the future, you know. <laughs> just put people in wacky raincoats and put little neon handles in their umbrellas, and there you go, the future. Uh, and I like it. It works. Like there's Blade Runner's a, a, a famously good production design. In Canada, the uh, they do the 
crossing things do talk to you. They're all stop, stop, <laughs> stop, eh? A, a, stop, a, stop, a. They say stop because, like, what if you had to go, eh? Yeah. Let's go, eh? I, I think in Blade Runner, doesn't it say just walk, 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 or don't walk? Make a left. No, Kelly Wan doesn't. No, I'm not consulting you any further, Kelly Wan, for information. <laughs> Dingus, what is your number three favorite umbrella in a movie? The arrows talk, too, by the way. Uh, the line from it would be, I suddenly remembered my Charlemagne. Let the armies be the rocks and the trees and the birds and the sky. Jeez. Oh, oh, That's when in the lion. Or it's, it's got to be Last Crusade. I don't remember an umbrella really in it, good. but it's got to it be. Is, it's Last Crusade. I've used this before, but not for umbrellas. It's when Sean Connery uses um, his umbrella to make on the beach to make the birds fly into the sky and destroy the Nazi airplane. See, Kelly Wan, what, what, what he's done with his own topic. There were Nazis in an Indiana Jones movie. Oh, that's right. They weren't Nazis. They were slave owners. Ew. Tom... Don't look at me. You Don't look boy. at me. See? Every third word. Last Crusade. It wasn't the last. So that's what brings to... down... So I seem to recall the Messerschmitt flies into like a tunnel and gets his wings snapped off. <laughs> that's what about the plane, Tom? What are you but, talking about? <laughs> but when they're down on the beach, the plane the crystals... is to strafe them, and, uh, and uh, Daddy Connery brings out his umbrella and flaps it open to make all the birds fly up and, and destroy them. He does it on purpose. Like, that's his plan? Yeah, yeah. He, he says. He, he suddenly remembers that the, the birds will be his armies. I'm never going to watch Last Crusade again. That sounds awful. Who says that line? Kelly Wand, what is your number two favorite um, uh, umbrella in a movie? Uh, that one, uh, the penguins in Batman Returns, it shot people because it shot the rain at others. Wait, is that thing Frodo used in the Two Towers that turns magic CG to fool the orcs? An umbrella? Or was I think that they had umbrellas in Middle-earth, Kelly Wand. Slicker. What, the elves didn't? So what, what is your number two again? Oh, the one in Batman Returns with Danny DeVito that he shot the mayor with and a bunch of civilians. It's like a, it was like an umbrella gun. You know, there actually was a... I think it was a, like a defector who was killed by the... Bulgarian secret police by an umbrella gun in the in the seventies. Like it, it fired a bullet coated with ricin, or that had it. No, that was, that was far more recent than the seventies. No, it's far more recent. Yep, this is a this was an infamous Cold War assassination in London. Uh, that the the guy just uh, recalled someone picking up an umbrella. We actually don't know for sure that it was an umbrella, but. And the account that he gave before, I think he went to the hospital with what just felt like a little bug bite, and it was a fatal inju- injection of ricin. Uh, he just mentioned seeing someone pick up an umbrella. So there's there's this, this conjecture that the secret <laughs> That's police, the entire test. Well, it had actually there had been, up, so. no, there had been a previous attempt with an umbrella gun, I think. So the conjecture is that this was just the the, the mo that the secret police was using to kill defectors. Uh, but so, Dingus, you're saying there was something more recent? Wait, I know gun? Kennedy killed Castro or tried to with an explosive umbrella. He put it in his mouth. Again, Kelly Wan, I'm not consulting you for any factual information on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> uh, but, Dingus, you're saying there was a more recent umbrella killing? Uh, I, thought, I thought it was more recent, but I, I, I could be wrong. I think that when they were talking about the, the poisoning of that, uh, there, was a, there was a poisoning... That was more recent, but I think that when they were talking about it, it was that 
like a Russian journalist or somebody who's poisoned. I forget what they're poisoned with. But well, there have been rice. I think they, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, but I think they were they were referencing the umbrella one. But I, you're probably right. It was. So the umbrella gun scare was has been debunked tonight. Well, the the one that gets me about umbrellas, uh, there there was a actually a video game. I'll, if you, you know this, we have a video gaming site in case you don't know. So I'm going to briefly mention a video game, an Assassin's Creed video game where you play a woman in New Orleans. She's like a uh, the the daughter of a of a slave, and she's a she's a, a half black woman who can variously pose as a slave or as a society chick or as a badass assassin. And when she's a society chick, one of the things that she can upgrade to is a parasol that shoots a little tranquilizer dart which is pretty awesome to run around with uh but but for me the the really chilling umbrella uh weapon uh uh incident which is in a a real world thing when those wackos in tokyo uh attacked a subway system with with sarin gas what they did is they wrapped this the sarin in plastic trash bags and they put it on the floor under the subway seat where they were sitting and they had umbrellas with sharpened tips and they would just poke holes in the trash bag as they were getting off of the subway and then as the subway went on it, it would leak the sarin gas out into the, the subway system uh, so just just this idea that they use these sharpened umbrella tips to release sarin gas into the Tokyo subway system, that was always a kind of a chilling detail to me It's like umbrellas are this weapon that you're allowed to carry anywhere Right. Well, that's partly it. Exactly. Like nobody who, you can what? stab somebody with it, even if it's not sarin. It, it just see it's such a common, innocent-looking thing. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. Until someone points it at you and sneers. Uh, so anyway, I'm sorry. So Kelly, Wand, your pick was the penguins <laughs> uh, umbrella gun. Um, yeah. From from the Joel Schumacher Batman. Uh huh. No, that's uh, Tim Burton. Yeah, oh, right, right. All right. From the middle one, the Empire Strikes Back of the Keaton trilogy <laughs> that was finished by Val Kilmer. <laughs> the Keaton trilogy that was finished by Val Kilmer. So the yeah. Keaton duology. <laughs> they called it forever. <laughs> My number two use of an umbrella. Uh, it's not for nef- and well. I don't remember the specific motivation. I don't think it's nefarious, but it's certainly underhanded. Uh, there's a heist scene in a, in a there's a heist scene in a French movie called Rafifi, where they have to cut a hole in the floor, and for whatever reason, they don't want debris to fall below because they're going to have to, I think, just secretly drop down in there and get out. So they cut a hole and then they put an umbrella through the hole and they open it so that it catches any of the debris they're using to cut around there. Oh, but it's it's a, it's a long, it's a kind of a famous heist scene. There's no dialogue, so they're trying to be very quiet. Uh, and I think it's one of those things where it's like one long take. I could be mistaken. But I just recall that little gimmick with the umbrella, where they cut the hole in the floor, they push the umbrella through, and then they open it so that it'll catch the debris as they're cutting the hole bigger. Um, so there's my number two pick. Rafifi? Yeah, it's some... Famous, it's a, it's a grandpa movie, basically, Kelly Wand, but it's an it's early famous, type. So that's why I've seen it. Well, why did I see Rafifi? I forget why I saw it. Wait, what uh, is it? You saw it because I made you go to Pasadena and watch it with me. Oh, I actually went out to a theater to watch that? Ew, wow, that's, right. that's weird. <laughs> and this is my number two as well. This is from 1965. Hey! It's from <laughs> And the reason they have to use the umbrella is because the alarm in the, in the place where they're doing the heist is, is sound sensitive. Oh, so, and that's why they can't talk. Right. They can't talk. Uh, it's the, not that they're just laconic or anything. Yeah, they're, 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 all of them are smoking, and that's why they're not talking. 
Um, so uh, it, it, this is brilliant, and I'm so I'm so happy you remember this. Um, but yeah, the reason they're using the umbrella is to catch all of the debris as they widen the hole, and that whole sequence, which is like basically. 30 minutes of silence, not silence, but no dialogue, but right. very little speaking because there's, there's, you know, there's cops walking on his beat outside, but mainly they're trying to avoid setting off that sound sensitive alarm until the lead character can get down there and spray foam in it to disable it. Um, set, basically set it off and then disable it after he's filled the thing with foam. But the, but, but the, uh, the guy's, are breaking in through the ceiling. They're very, they very carefully break this little hole, poke through an umbrella, open it. It's one of these beautiful, big black umbrellas, very strong umbrella, obviously. And as the d- debris falls into the umbrella, they reach down through the hole to pull it out piece by piece. And it takes them hours upon hours to do this. And that's one of the wonderful things about this heist is that it takes the entire night and you see the clocks kind of move as they go through the night and they have to be silent all night long. And the umbrella keeps the debris from hitting the floor and making sounds. Do we know in advance, Dingus, they're going to use the umbrella, or is it kind of a reveal when it pops out in the movie? Do you remember? I don't remember that. I, just, I watched that whole sequence, which is sort of Steve McQueenish, in that it's this, this middle section of the movie that's just this. It, right, right. It's like it's like a mini movie in the middle of the movie. So I don't know if we have this Hudson Hawk. Give me this list of supplies, and I also need. Ella. <laughs> God. Uh, what year is this movie? 1955. Oh, good lord! Jesus! Wow! <laughs> is that even a real year? <laughs> did they did they have film back then? Wow! They, it... they actually had. They did. They made a flip book of it, <laughs> and they held it up in front of a camera. Yeah, I think Hugo was about the making of this movie. If I'm <laughs> it might have been. Wow. Nineteen fifty five is my favorite Spielberg. Yes, Kelly Wand, go on. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wand, that that raises the question, what's your favorite umbrella in a movie? Does it? Yeah. That's what raises the <laughs> Yep. It he lowers it lowers it actually. <laughs> ah, see Dingus an umbrella joke. It's just like racism. Every third world's umbrella themed. Wait, word. Did I say word or world. He said world. I, I think there are plenty of third world countries that are not umbrella themed, Kelly Wand. Who invented the umbrella? Us. Umbra. Mr. Umbra. <laughs> Mr. M. Umbrella. Second to last umbrella. It doesn't. It's such a weird word. No, it's not. It, it's from shadow. It's from the Latin word for shadow. What's that? Uh, probably something like umbra. <laughs> <laughs> no. Wait, but it's not. Alright, I guess it casts a shadow. All right. Yeah. It pretty, you know what? Yeah. Yes, Kelly Wand. One yes. is actually. Yes. I thought this topic was dumb until I so, thought of my number one, right? and then I went, "Oh wait, this was a very seminal movie-going experience for me." Good. I look forward to this then. My number one is Peter Cushing's Umbrella in At the Earth's Core in 1976. Yeah, but what's the movie? He uses it to pelt a T-Rex in the face. After this is not true. I don't. Again, I don't believe any factual information you're conveying. I am going to regard with doubt and suspicion. So go on. Peter Cushing hits a T-Rex with an umbrella in the face. See, I used to think this before I saw Dark Star that he was always making that up. So. <laughs> made up. Wait, you think I made up Zap too? That uh, jury's still out on that one, Kelly. Well, Wall. not the first one, but yeah, Zap too. If I didn't invent Zap, they would have had to have made it. So at the Earth's core, is this a Vern thing? No, it's fucking uh, Edgar Rice well, Burroughs. Oh, they guy. called him back then. The guy they named Tarzana after, even though that wasn't his name. But um, 
Wait, you didn't see this movie? Because it's really good. What year is this? What year is this coming? That we're in right now? What year is your movie? Because I'm guessing... Oh, 76. Oh, 76. So the year before Jaws came along. All right. Well, this could be good. It was now 1955, the year the world changed, but... um... 76, well, I, I was not aware that in 76 there was a movie in which Peter Cushing goes to the Earth's core, but I am intrigued now. I'm really upset you haven't seen it. It was British. They, they go to the Earth's core in like a giant uh, iron mole, even though it takes place in the 1890s. They like drive this fucking drill bit into the Earth's so core. It's just like the movie The Core. Yeah, like Carolyn Monroe's in it. I don't know who that is. <sighs> the chick from uh, Spy Love Me is in the helicopter. Barbara Bach? No, the other one. She's good, too. They're both good. Carolyn Monroe. Why would I know who that is? From Jim- She's in a fierce score looking super hot. Is she in any Hammer Horror movies? She was in, she was in oh, yeah. Sinbad that's not the one before Jane Seymour. She's in Sinbad in the, the Seventh Voyage. Was she ever in one of those like sexy yeah. space Flash Gordon kind yeah, of movies? Yeah, she's Vampirella. She looks kind of like Vampirella. I think that's she- how I knew that name. What's it called? What's her spe- that space movie? Because I watched that recently. Uh, Dracula in space. Or no, something. no, no. It's like a Flash Gordon thing, but with a... No, it's not at the Earth's core, because that's the opposite of space. Huh, guys? <laughs> so tell us about this umbrella thing. Uh, you're literally going... It's like a rocket going the wrong way, and it's shaped like a rocket. Wait, I'm like that, or what? who are you... No, the Earth is. You're nothing like the Earth. You're more like Venus. No offense. But anyway... <laughs> you, have, you, you have weight. The Earth does not. Not the Greek goddess Venus, either. The fucking, uh... Oh, yeah, but anyway, at the Earth's core... Star oh, Crash. Sure. She's in a movie called Star Crash, which I recently this? watched. And she's incredibly hot. And, yes. uh, and yeah, and I looked her up afterwards to see, why, why, what do I know her for? And I didn't she know her plays for... She plays Dia in at the Earth's core, where they go to the Earth's core. And so Peter Cushing is in this, and he attacks... He fights a T-Rex using an umbrella? Yeah, and you know what? I remember watching it and going... He eventually gives it enough walnut-sized brain damage to scare it off. But I remember when the movie started, because he's like the, the doddering elderly buffoon, and the other guy is the strong, dumb guy. It's kind of like uh, Jack Aubrey and Steve Matterin. It's also kind of like this podcast. <laughs> Tom, you're not that old. But anyway, uh, yeah, but I remember worrying about Peter Cushing because he looks so frail, and he's super old. I go, he's not going to be able to – he's too frail to survive the Earth's core. But then I went, oh, he's got an umbrella. And then when he hit the dinosaur with it. I went, oh, he's fine. He's using the stiff upper lip of 1890s Britain to take down the paleontology beast. Well, and plus he's Peter Cushing. He could get away with that. That's it's awesome. also got flying lizards in it called the May... No, wait. They're called the... No, yeah, the Mayhars. They're telepathic. You don't remember them? There's like lava. There's like a lava castle in it that blows up. So, Kelly, one, should I see this or should I see the one where they fly a blimp to the Arctic? What was that? And there's a volcano and an orca it's that they fight. The top of the world. Yeah. That's a Disney movie, but this one's this one's got Carol Monroe in it look, wearing a lot of revealing clothing. Oh, now, okay. now, watch this. You have to watch okay. this tonight. The SAG officer in it. The what? They talk like this. They go, ah, oh, ah, ah. They talk like that. SAG offs? Yeah, the SAG offs. They're like these pig faced beasts. Again, I'm not sure whether or not to believe it's you. It's kind of like 12 Years a Slave, but it takes place in a I, I feel like we're being Kaiser Sozied right now. Yeah, I wonder. Kelly wants to look at like got Battlestar Galactic on his right. shelf. He's like, they you got the SAG offs. You guys are going to be awash in right. outraged forum comments tomorrow morning. The Earth's core? Juan's not stupid for once. All right, well, Kelly Juan, if you watch Star Crash, I'll watch at the Earth's core. Yeah, yeah. Wait, I've seen the Star Crash. I saw the theater. It's got lightsabers in it. Okay, then you have to watch Hunger. 
All right, I'll watch Hunger. Taylor Monroe is not in Hunger, though. There's also a really cool plant beast in it. Man, how much stuff can be in this movie, Kelly Wand? It's a shitload of lava. It's got tons of lava in it. All right, I'm sold. They find an ocean. I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, well, yeah, I'll find out. We'll have more talk of this later. People. It's got... um, Kelly Wand, are you ready for a line from my favorite umbrella in a movie? Hang on. Yes. Here we go. I have of late, but wherefore I know not, lost all my mirth. Uh, Morkin Mindy, Jonathan Winters. Oh, uh, the John Cusack Raven. When does Hamlet use an umbrella? Oh, interesting. It's not Hamlet. The actor's name is Richard E. Grant. Oh, uh, ah, okay, very good. There's there's a movie called With Nail and I, which ends with this amazing sad monologue uh, that the character, With Nail, played by Richard E. Grant, recites this bit from Hamlet. Um, it's after he and the other character, who's the eponymous and I, uh, have parted ways. It's, it's a sad... The, the overall structure of With Nail and I is, is sort of about coming down from the high of the 60s and the, the early 70s in London uh, and this sort of impending doom of the, the Thatcher era that's bearing down on them. Uh, that It's actually not uh, about that at all in a, in a super textual sense. Like, you have to sort of look at the historical context. That's kind of what the story is about uh, subtext-wise, is there's this great period uh, in London for creativity and drug use and counterculture, and it's about the end of it, and it's about two friends parting ways at, at this moment. And the movie ends with the friends parting ways, and Richard E. Grant left with a bottle of wine and an umbrella in a downpour, and completely dejected by where he is, he just recites this monologue from Hamlet, holding the umbrella over his head. At one point, he just tips it back and doesn't care that he's getting soaked, uh, and when the camera pulls back, you see that he is delivering the monologue across a gate to some poor, sad little... It's like he's at a zoo or something, and there's some sad little coyote or wolf just, like, sitting there taking the rain, and Richard E. Grant is doing this Hamlet monologue to him. Uh, but just the, the image of him with that umbrella, with his big old coat, with the wine bottle, uh, this is the final moment from With Nail and I, and I love that moment. Uh, and the umbrella partly makes it. So there you go. There's my favorite umbrella moment. You haven't seen that movie in too long. You should see it once a year, at least. At least once a year, Kelly Wand. It comes up on the podcast every week, so I should Kelly Wand, what about what's his name? His name's And I, Tom. (laughs) Uh, Dingus, what is your favorite use of an umbrella in a movie? And maybe have a line for us, like I did. Uh, Take care of that throat. You're a big singing star, remember. This California dew is just a little bit heavier than usual tonight. So does he have a line? Good lord, that was like that was like, he did. Dingus just did a whole monologue. That's right. Yeah, I just love that term. This California do is just a little bit heavier than usual tonight. California do sounds like something from like a single man. Watership down. Wait, yeah. a single man? The Colin Firth, not the right one brothers. Uh, I'm guessing I haven't seen this movie, Dingus. It's probably so. You know what, Kelly Wand? He's probably doing some other grandpa movie from 1955. Well, California means it's got to be... Not from 55, it's from 52. Oh, jeez. Ew. Oh, good Lord. God, that's when umbrella... Oh. Golden age of umbrella filmmaking. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, 1952, what movies were back then? They only had a couple of them. It's got something with James Dean and Marilyn Monroe, I'm guessing. <laughs> I like that movie. <laughs> it's my favorite. Uh, All right. Uh, uh, can I just tell you guys... 
Lord. Oh. If, it's, if it's not, it happened one night, I have no idea. <laughs> That's 3010. That movie. <laughs> the future? 3010. Yeah. So it takes place after Zardoz. They're remaking it with Jeremy Renner and Jaden Smith. All right, I guess what awesome 1952 movie has a reference to a 53 has a reference to a California do Godzilla. It happened when I was 1934. I was close. Whatever. Once you get before 50, it happened in 1934. Uh, The the 1952 movie I'm referencing is, of course, Singing in the Rain. Oh, Oh, wait, that was 52. So there's no umbrella because he's singing in the rain. He wouldn't be in the rain if he had an umbrella. Waving it around, like I don't give a fuck. He has an umbrella in there. It's so great. And it's, it's, it's his dance partner basically in the scene. And, you know, I, I kind of prefer this, although, uh, I love, um, I love that lamp scene with, uh, Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire. Um, but I love Fred Astaire Fred- is in, the guy from Towering Inferno? <laughs> yes, the guy from Towering Inferno. It's where the Towering Inferno turns around in a circle and he's on the ceiling of it and it's <laughs> yeah. still on fire. They have the whole building on a gimbal. I've never used an umbrella as a dance so partner. I, a I cannot tell you how much joy this scene gives me. I mean, there's there's the, the the great like the three of them twirling the umbrellas, or whatever. But the, but him with the umbrella in the rain uh, because of what he's choosing to do with it and not use it and how he plays with it. It's so playful and beautiful. It's his dance partner. He. He uses it so beautifully, and it's a beautiful-looking umbrella. It's, I mean, ah, damn, I love this scene so much. I can watch this scene over and over again. Whenever I feel blue, I can watch that Singing in the Rain scene with with uh, Gene Kelly uh, kissing... Um, oh, my gosh. I'm just, sure. yeah, kissing Fred Astaire goodnight. No. no. Not, what are you talking about? I'm more of a Roddy McDowellist. What? Uh, does it rain for the whole movie? No, just uh, just uh, kissing uh, Debbie Reynolds goodnight, and then uh, waving the taxi wait, cab. Wait, Gene go. Kelly and Debbie Reynolds kiss? Yeah, they kiss under an umbrella. It, it's <laughs> Tom's mortified at that process. Another, Are they both? They're both women. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> he, he waves the taxi cab away because he wants. He's so full of joy. Why is he dancing with Debbie Reynolds in that scene? Because he's 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 taking her home and he's putting her to bed and he's going he's going back home and this is that moment after that night where you oh, I see. He's got the the you're going home and 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 this is this joyful dance in the rain that he has with his umbrella but he folds it and he uses it and he dances with it and he plays with it and then he ends up handing it off to somebody else who can use it. Um, and then there's, there's a couple that passes him with a newspaper over their head. It's just a great <laughs> scene. It's, it's just so beautiful. It's so beautiful how he uses it, how it's it balances it, dancing. Uh, oh God, I love the scene so much and it's, it could not have happened without the umbrella. So, so Gene go. Kelly is a dude. Uh, Fred Astaire <laughs> then is in, is Gene Kelly or Fred Astaire in singing in the rain? Gene Kelly's in Singing in the Rain. Why were we talking about Fred Astaire then? You did. I thought Davis said something about Fred Astaire. I can't keep these old movies straight if there's going to be so many different people in yeah, them. Yeah, there are too many dancers. Fred Astaire is not the guy in Singing it's in the like Rain. He's Dancing in the Rain. How come that's not the title of Dancing? Kelly, I'm not believing things that you tell me unless they have to do with Peter Cushing and a T-Rex. <sighs> Carol Monroe. And Carol Monroe. 
Oh yeah, but back to Dingus's black and white movie. Um, was there? I can't. I've never. I think I've ever seen a movie with Debbie Reynolds in it. Was she really good? <laughs> I've only seen her daughter. Oh, that's uh, 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 Carrie Fisher's mom. Is I that right? Or no? Postcards from the Edge. Uh, yes, you're right. Okay. Uh, played by Meryl Streep in Postcards from the Edge. Let's watch that together. Postcards from the Edge. And Singing in the Rain, double feature. I'd rather watch At the Earth's Core and Journey to the Top of the World. It's a a voyage, even though (laughs) they don't go by boat. It's somehow called a voyage. Uh, All right, so Umbrella and Singing in the Rain. uh, It's musical. Maybe I'll watch that sometime after I watch this Mary Poppins thing. Uh, This is the movie I famously complained about the artist, you know. I just constantly talked about how the artist is just singing in the rain, but they're just not as good at it. Singing in the rain is not a silent movie, so I feel that you're yeah, I don't get that. falls apart. Dingus doesn't like it when things are like something he's seen, right? Or when there's bad weather, or when it's a Hans Zimmer soundtrack repurposed from. Thin he's Red. in a constant state of fury. Well, I can understand his last one. What one? Hans Zimmer can do new stuff, please. Oh. He doesn't need to just repurpose other other soundtracks. He's Elfman 2.0. So and the reason the reason I brought up uh, the the reason I brought up Fred Astaire is that he oh. famously dances with a lamp. Uh, and I think it might <laughs> be Bruce Royal. Campbell did too. <laughs> well, I don't know, but he, but he does. I think it's in Royal Wedding, but I'm not sure. But Royal but Wedding is the name of a movie. Good lord! Sure. What what happens to that? <laughs> <laughs> but I just I just love the way uh, Gene Kelly uses the umbrella in uh, in Singing in the Rain. It's just so, a beautiful, beautiful prop. If I were to ever I, – I once sat down to watch a movie called High Noon, which is an old grandpa uh, Western thing, which I really like, by the way. High Noon totally starts, cool. and I knew that High Noon starred uh, Gary – no, Gary? What's the guy's name? Gary Cooper. Gary Cooper, right. Uh, so yeah. I'm watching High Noon, and there's the sheriff, and stuff's happening with the sheriff, and I'm thinking, that's Gary Cooper? God, all right, whatever. And then he gets killed, and it's not Gary Cooper. And I would not know Gary Cooper if he came up on the street and punched me. So I'm watching High Noon, having no idea who Gary Cooper is, this sort of blandly heroic guy gets killed, and then Gary Cooper comes in. And even then, it was kind of a surprise. I was like, oh, that's Gary Cooper. It's kind of weird. I didn't expect that. Well, okay, let's see what happens. Oh, I kind of like it. Hey, he's cool. Man, this Gary Cooper guy is awesome. And so that's this sort of journey I go through with Gary Cooper. I'm guessing one day I'll have that with Fred Astaire and maybe this Gene Kelly fella. Um, cause I, I think would, that movie's overrated. I'm surprised you like Gary Cooper. Gary Cooper? Uh, you mean High Noon? Yeah. Why is High I mean, Noon it's, overrated? Because it's like, cause it's like a, a countdown to the good part. Well, as an Outland, the remake... <laughs> <laughs> the good parts happen right away. I would argue that High Noon itself is a remake. I mean, it's basically the story, is it Town of Athens, where uh, there's the Shakespeare story about the Roman fellow who needs his friends to come help him, and they all fail him. I, I think that's it's what High Noon is. It's uh, allegory, too. I didn't know that. Well, that makes perfect sense. Uh, yeah. This is The Crucible was, and as Invasion of But I loved High Noon, and I didn't expect... Uh, but you don't so, like westerns, right? I don't know a lot of westerns. I don't know a lot of old movies. So at some point, this joy that Dingus is expressing about whichever dancer he's talking about, I can't keep him straight. Well, I'm, sure, I'm sure I'm going to be able to appreciate this as well if I ever watch these things. There's no reason what? to keep him straight because Fred Astaire is I, – I love him in Top Hat. And I could watch any of these guys on any number of times. 
There's a movie called Top Hat. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I only he's the old man in, in, in Tarion Inferno to me. That's that's all I would know him. What happens to him in a in Tarion Inferno? Uh, he gets away, but the chick that he's into has a pretty gruesome death. It's kind of sad. Then I'll have to. He saves. Oh no, O.J. Simpson saves a cat. <laughs> O.J. Simpson saves a cat in Tarion Inferno. Hmm. <laughs> it's like real life's echoing nothing. <laughs> Hi guys. Uh, all right, Diggis, do we have reader submissions for umbrellas? <laughs> we don't. We have we have reader oh. submission. Oh, that was last week too. You know what? Everyone hates us now, or they hate the topics. Or no, the this one. this is this is a pretty narrow topic. That's fine. Uh, I was just reminded of it from having done the old boy things, and uh, and, stand. and so I, I have a lot of these very narrow topics that are I'm fine with this. That's what this I heard. Is, this is Paul Weimer, uh, our our fifth. <laughs> Or seventh beetle. I'm not sure what number we're at. What happened to uh, Fred? You guys pissed him off or something. <laughs> He'll be back. He'll be back. Uh, Paul Weimer. Hi guys. Uh, Dingus topic was not that obscure to me. My number one and number two came pretty quick. Number three took a little more thought. Here goes. Favorite uses of umbrellas in movies. Number three. In Minority Report, Tom what? Cruise's John Anderton obtains and uses an umbrella at the urging of the precog he has kidnapped. Oh, to elude his God. pursuers in and outside of a mall. Wow, or, good point. Uh, that's a that's an obscure one, but that's a good pick. Yeah, because Samantha Morton isn't it? Samantha Morton. She did, doesn't she say bring an umbrella? And he's like, why? What? And then, yeah. <laughs> then yeah. it turns out, oh yeah, that does help. I relate to his character. <laughs> uh, number two in Singing in the Rain, mm. Gene Kelly's Don Lockwood sings and dances with an umbrella in the rain, performing the title, as it were. Uh, what a glorious feeling! Wait, I thought that was a uh, Flashdance song. It is. And number one <laughs> in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Sean Connery's Doctor Henry Jones Sr. <laughs> saves himself and his son Indy by using an umbrella to scare a flock of birds into flying into an attacking German fighter plane. I remembered my Charlemagne. So best regards, Paul Weimer. I prefer Indiana Jones's earlier, funnier movies. <laughs> Dingus and Paul Weimer uh, basically shared Birds a of a feather. The list. Yeah, yeah. they basically that? did, yeah. It's like We're you guys are uh, sharing an umbrella. Or there's only three umbrellas in movies. Uh, do we have any, well, uh, other than all of the umbrellas of Sherbert? Uh, well, there is any... the, the famous one that uh, Kelly wanted, that scene from uh, Resident Evil, which comes down on people with umbrellas in the rain, and there's a zombie attack. And the point is, it's the video games, the, evil, the villain in the movies is the... Umbrella Umbrella oh, that's See, so clever. Wow, yep. that really gives me the chills in yep. so many levels. That's really amazing. I hope it's in every movie for in slow motion for 10 fucking minutes. So good, God. It's Everyone like Sunny Runner, but even... What? Sounds like you're being facetious. Those movies suck. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Are you just that? You're making a blanket pronouncement that the Resident Evil They're movies... They're all bad. Including so, the one you guys liked. It's bad. Wrong. You guys are a little crazy that night. <laughs> you it's just got finished bad. telling us about at the Earth's core. Where no, I have Max a T Rex on the nose with an umbrella, and you're going to go from there to being judgmental about the Resident Evil movies. Kelly Wand, how dare you? At the Earth's core is not even a guilty pleasure. It's just pure guilt. Wait. <laughs> uh, other runners up, gentlemen. Anything? Uh, I have one, um, and this kind of relates to what was the fashion umbrella you used, Tom? Where you was like, I like the way that umbrella looks. Is that your Blade Runner umbrella? Well, they have the futuristic neon handles. Yeah, yeah your neon handles umbrella. Yeah. Uh, my my favorite, just I like the way this looks, 
umbrella is in Lost in Translation. Um, Scarlett Johansson just has this clear umbrella, and it's just so it's just really cute. It's 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 a cute way of being able to show her under an umbrella and still show Tokyo at the same time. Mm. I I just like I just like the the mental image of her carrying around that clear umbrella. Thing is, you might argue that that Sofia Coppola knows what she's doing. Uh, yeah. I might, I might, I might dare to do that. A bra's like two umbrellas. If uh, if Marie Antoinette had an umbrella, I would have chosen just all Sofia Coppola. Let them drink rain. But those are parasols. Or do I go Scarlett Johansson? Let them drink rain. <laughs> Kelly Wand, what do you have for us next week for a three by three? Runner up. Oh yes, what's your runner up, Kelly Wand? Um, remember the ones in Picnic at Hanging Rock? Awesome pick. Great? Okay. <laughs> Next week. <laughs> I was trying to think of some movie, and maybe it's a video game, where somebody like uh, impales someone on an umbrella and then opens the umbrella on the opposite side of the wound. Haven't, haven't we that seen too. that? That's yeah, like a James Bond. It's something like that. I don't know if it's a movie or a video game. It, maybe it's one of the kills in the Dead Rising games. But it's just a, pers- a pervasive dream we both have. Could be like we. So we, like cool to kill something or like a zombie. Right, right. right. There's sure. umbrella fights where it really like mess around with the umbrella and turn around and use the hook of the umbrella to trip somebody. But no, I could, no, I guess nobody has the technology for that. Oh, uh, you're good. Right, you're right. Did a pirate get an umbrella put on his hand? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That totally happened. <laughs> Steve McQueen's making a trilogy about it. Think of, or, oh, wait, uh, there's a great umbrella reveal in... Oh, no, it's a hat. Never mind. Forget it. Think of a hat is not an umbrella. They can sometimes serve a similar function, but they're not the same thing. What about the one that cuts off the kid's fingers in Road Warrior? Not an umbrella. <laughs> I may have screwed up a couple pronouns. That. <laughs> That's not an umbrella. That was a didgeridoo. You're so kidding at it. Kelly Wand, what is next week's 3 by 3 <laughs> I think this likes me. Tom hates me. Or as I call it, Sunday. Um, next week. Oh, God. What? Nothing. What? Okay. That's the topic. Next week's exciting 3x3. Three three, and I hope to get at least two listener submissions. It being only New Year's Eve, probably. Or whatever the fuck. Is... The three best oh God. logos, like corporate logos, or T-shirts, which are wearable subtitles. How is, so this, from, how is this different from product placement? Because it's, um, it's not a product. It's the label on the product. It's the product. Oh, so it, it can be like a made-up corporate logo for some made-up corporation. In- oh, I just thought of a good one. Good work. Yeah. Thanks. I'm glad I helped you. I'm going to write that down. So, Diggis, explain to us again what Kelly Wan's 3x3 is. These are your three favorite corporate logos that are made up within the movie and not product placements. I see. Do they have to be fictional, Kelly Wan? So I can't use the Atari neon sign from Blade Runner, for instance. Yeah, you can. Oh. Like the way in Dark Shadows. I think you should have to distinguish. uh, I think we're all thinking of the same, same one right now. We are? Well, I am. I'm thinking of the same one. I like how Dingus <laughs> assumes we're as smart as he is. <laughs> I have no idea. Nothing comes to mind for me. I'm a blank right now, Dingus. Uh, so, Kelly, one are these fictional logos? Because we've done fictional products and movies, haven't we? You're being dumb. 
I thought we had done that. No, it's a different way. We did what? Fictional logo? fictional products and movies, and I remember picking Quidditch from here. Okay, this would be like who makes the Quidditch paddles? So it's a totally different topic. It's All right, so thing. corporate it's, logos that are that are fake, right? Or no, they can be like like remember the Mephistopheles McDonald's thing and Darth. Dingus told you that they can't be that. He said that. I didn't. Oh, agree we've already that. done product placement. So you've done Taco Bell. Hey, I think you're on my side. Now you're uh, tomming out on me. Fuck. No, no, I'm trying to keep you honest. So uh, Kelly one, these are so the not these, product placements, but right corporate logos. Yeah, like who made the product? Like in uh, like Atari. Like okay, so in Repo Man, right? You know, there's a thing. Generic like, beer. Right. Okay, so you would go, oh, but that's product placement, but it's not the logo. Which would be the font of that? So it's totally different. Yeah, you're going to get. I'm sure you'll get at least two reader submissions on this, Kelly Wand. Yeah, this is this one's going to knock it out of the park. People are going to be oh, knocking down the doors to do two different submissions. <laughs> it's All right, so Kelly Wand, just re- again pretend that you haven't said it. Just start from the beginning. Give us the capsule summation. What is the three by three? Three best T-shirt logos. Three best T-shirts. <sighs> three best logos with T-shirts in them. Three best T-shirt logos. Three best corporate logos, T-shirt or otherwise. Perfect. All right. Well, join us for that next week, whatever that is. Uh, <laughs> uh, so next week we will be seeing American Hustle, even though it did already uh, this week. Um, seen it, but us. Uh, join us for that. Be sure to see American Hustle and then listen in and then listen. <sighs> I could have muted that, but I chose for creative reasons to interrupt you. So. Uh, and then listen for our three by three of t-shirt corporate lo- corporate no! t-shirts no whatever, whatever the thing whatever the several things kelly one was saying those will be our three by three next week corporate logos that are maybe on t-shirts they don't have to be oh but they have to be on garments that you wear on your uh, torso but they don't have to be t-shaped they could be like tank tops they have to tee in them all right, well, we'll see what happens with that. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I've been joined by Christian Malinsky. It's Christian Moroski. Uh, I don't think so. And uh, Kelly Wand. I'm like a dumbbrella. <laughs> la, 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 la. I don't care. <laughs> so afterwards, when we were coming home, I asked Dingus, wasn't Tweedly Geo 4 in some, like, teeth? TV sci-fi series like a Star Trek or something, and it occurred to me that I just remembered and Dingus explained to me that he was that that was him in the Serenity movie. But I didn't know this; he's not in the TV show. He plays Ron Glass in the movie. Uh, the credit's just the operative, but he's not in the TV show. Oh, he, Why does he, he not- has some generic name like the Ekigat. Wasn't he the president of France in 2012? He was in 2012 as well, but I don't... I don't Red Belt's good. Red Belt makes me want to learn karate from Tweedledee Geofor. It's not Tweedledee Geofor. It's Tweedledee Geofor. Every word you say is a profound secret. <laughs> that was so stupid.